0: Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitkavich, and this is a podcast where readers can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check out daybeautiful.net for more author interviews and book recommendations. You can also follow us on social media at Day Beautiful on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Today's guest is a Puerto Rican writer from the Bronx and is an associate professor in the English department at Bronx Community College. Her writing has been published in the Fairy Tale Review, Hippocampus, Centro, and elsewhere. Her debut novel, Carmen and Grace, is out now. Please welcome Melissa Cossacchino. Hey, Melissa. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great and super happy to be here.
0: Oh, Thank you so much. Um, I always like to start off with, like, what is Carmen and Grace about your debut book? What what can readers expect when they open it up?
1: You know, I mean, it's a big book, Mm -hmm, (laughs) 400 mm -hmm. pages, and it took a long time to write. So... um, I find it sometimes difficult, but the easiest answer I have found is that it's really about a journey into a very dark place Mm -hmm. um, in order to really begin to see yourself for who you truly are. So it's a bunch of girls who um, have been in trouble basically since they were born at some level in some form. And um, when they begin to get lured into this world of criminal activity, um, specifically selling drugs, they begin to find that they are more than what they were told
0: mm-hmm. they were. yeah. And
1: um, that's what the book really is looking at. And, and and an intimate relationship in that context, how do you maintain intimacy and friendship and love and loyalty when everything you do together is putting you in danger?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I love that answer cuz I feel when people ask me what the books I recommend are about I'm like uh, this is what I took away from it but like there's so many different things you could take away from every book. Um that's why I always like to ask it. But you mentioned it's a big book and it took a while and um, part of day beautiful is getting into the writing experience of it. And I'm curious, you know, what was the Genesis of Carmen and grace? Was it one of the characters? Was it just the idea of what you just explained?
1: No, it was definitely all my writing is very much uh character driven mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I call it, you know, sort of like the voices that I hear. Um, I was 23 years old when Carmen and Grace came to me and that was a good 30 years ago.
0: And
1: uh, I was, you know, walking on the Grand Concourse in the Bronx where I was working at the time and I had a brand new baby and I saw a scene of girls confronting a guy about something he was doing to one of their friends. They were all young. Some had baby carriages. I had my baby. I was barely out of their age. And I was already working with at-risk teenagers myself in a, in a specific program at Bronx Lebanon hospital.
0: Mm.
1: I think I just, right in that moment, I started to think about the stories that are really difficult to tell the stories about, you know, sort of women fighting on behalf of each other as opposed to against each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And And then it was just born from an environment that's very intimate and familiar to me. But the story of Carmen and Grace, I think, is very much about um, how we attach ourselves to relationships that sometimes bring an enormous amount of complication. A lot of work.
0: Yeah. Did you start (laughs) writing, like writing, writing when you were 23? Okay. Okay.
1: No. So I was, I've had been writing since I was really young. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. was one of those like high school writing in the newspaper, editor cool. of the law journal, blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah. And you know, third grade poem, all of that.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then uh, I had a lot of life that I had to live and a lot of things I had to do for my family. So when I was in college, I had started something else mm-hmm. and that kind of fell by the wayside. And then um I had a new baby. I had some teenagers, uh, my cousins who were living with me when I was 23 and I had this very intense job. Yeah. So I had a habit of, uh, writing notes to myself and just putting them away. Yeah. And Carmen and grace had, you know, a lot of other titles first, Mm -hmm. but I just put it to the side and I came home and I did tell my 15 year old cousin, like I kind of ran it by her. Like a pitch for a movie yeah, yeah. (laughs) and then this happens and then this happens. And she's like, that's amazing. You could totally make this into a movie, but that wasn't uh, where I was in terms of my writing. So I put it to the side and I did a lot of other writing, a lot of other Mm -hmm. writing. There's a whole other novel that came um, in the interim. And I think the really strongest part of the writing started in 2007 Mm -hmm. and I was doing an MFA program, and then 2009, and then I got very serious about the manuscript as a manuscript in 2011, which is still (laughs) 10 years before Mm -hmm. I ever got a book deal, Um, but I was also doing a PhD, finishing a dissertation, you know, like raising kids and dealing with family and living, so um, I write about that a lot now, just this idea that Certain writing lives don't fit the model of yeah. when you're supposed to start or how you're supposed to do it, but it doesn't mean it's not a valid writing life. Yeah, it's just yeah,
0: different. no, exactly. And 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 I think what I've learned, and I hope listeners have learned in the past, whatever four, three, four, five years, from day beautiful is like every path is valid. Every path is completely different. It could be the same, but what you're going through is different than every other writer. Um. I'm fascinated. So you, you picture it as like a movie, like, you know, you're just telling your cousin um, and then it takes a while to sit down and write. I mean, to, to like, to get earnestly started. What, um, what stayed, if you can give like one tidbit of what kind of stayed the same from those early thoughts to like now, is there something that has always been there?
1: Yeah. The collective, the mm-hmm. girls, like that. It was mm-hmm. more than one or two. And, and I struggled a lot, you know, like seven, eight, nine. Yeah. But then it became very spiritual. And I knew that it was spiritual from the beginning. And that's the part I didn't have a grasp on. So I kept yeah. telling her. And then they're having this really spiritual experience. It's just like, what does that mean? And I was like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and then I had my own, right, over yeah. um, the many years in between. So mm-hmm. the I would say the female collective, um, the criminal activity the location, the Bronx is like my heart. And so I'm always writing from my heart. And then um, this idea of a spiritual journey that when you go dark, when you go to really dark places in a life, you have to find some way out. And whatever that journey is, it has a spiritual element, even if you don't believe in anything, Mm -hmm. it has an element that has to um, let you imagine something other than the material reality you're standing in.
0: Yeah. Did you always know that you had to push them to like the edge, like to, to as dark as it gets? Was that easy for you? Was that hard for you? Was that always? So no, that part was of it?
1: super hard. That was super hard. And in fact, the version that my the version that got um me the relationship with my agent, um mm-hmm. Sumia Roberts, which um was I believe 2015, 2016 we had a long conversation, uh, a couple of back and forths and a conversation about um, the two perspectives. And I realized that I was really still protecting them. Mm. I was still keeping them safe from what I knew would really push them to make moves. And um, part of it was just that it's really hard to write. Yeah, Uh, It's really hard to write. And a lot of what I wrote that was darkest is not in the manuscript that became the book mm-hmm. um but that had to be written in order for them to really be fully realized as characters yeah
0: um yeah I, I i'm i'm gonna like nitty-grit on the timeline kind of a little bit because i am fascinated by it so 2015 you get you start a relationship with an agent um right. you're going through everything with with what the what the book becomes um when do you when do you finally sell it is it how many years later is it
1: so 2021 Mm -hmm. uh is the book deal that in january of 2021 and it came at the end of uh a 2020 that was crazy for everyone but particularly uh challenging for me both of my parents died within three months of each other Mm -hmm. my sister-in-law in between the two of them who's was only 52 it was a really grueling um life-changing time and then you're locked in your house and you you can't see anyone and you can't talk to anyone and you can't have your normal ways of moving through grief so I went back into the book and I said this is it like whatever it is I have left it's got to go it's got to go it's got to go and so I finished it in August of 2020 And, um, and then I, and then I sent it to her and, you know, we've had a lot of back and forth because a lot of things were happening simultaneous. And, uh, and then the political insanity that was the fall of 2020 into January, early January, 2021, kept holding us back. We were like, oh, the mood. Oh, we're Mm -hmm. not going to throw this on people's desk. Oh, the holidays. It's just, we kept delaying. And then when we finally sent it, it was literally the fastest thing about this wow. book. Yeah. Like within a week of her having sent it, we were coming into a deal.
0: Yeah, sorry to Which hear about. Is
1: unusual. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I, I am sorry to hear about the 2020 you had on top of everything that we all have experienced. Um, was... That we all had, yes. Yeah. Yeah, was, was writing at the time easy for you? Like, because I, I talked to a lot of writers about writing during the pandemic, and they've all had different responses.
1: Yeah, um, definitely not easy. Uh, and and I would say writing has always been a kind of sanctuary for me. So that's why I say, even though I got the idea for Carmen and Grace way back when, I knew better. Even then, I wasn't, I was a big undertaking and but I was still writing and I was writing stories and journals and entries and any number of things so that when 2020 comes and I'm like you know at this stage of of having faced this extraordinary loss and um, not really knowing what to do with all of the pent-up grief and rage and energy that was moving through me I said, I have to finish the book. I have to finish it. I have to get this, you know, whether it's I'm getting it over with or I'm getting it out of me, I don't know, but I need to just be done. And um, it was actually so difficult and intimidating that I have a friend uh, who works for, um, she's, you know, she's in the literary world and she does different kinds of editing and different things. And I work on some diversity reads with her. And I wrote to her and I asked her to be my literary doula. Mm. I was like, I don't need an editor. I don't need an agent. I have all of these ways in which I've already interacted with the people around the book. But I need somebody to help me take care of myself to get in and out of this last edit because I'm so depleted. Mm-hmm. And um, we just did a very simple like weekly check in. She was just reading pages and letting me know. I hear you. I'm following. This is how it's making me feel. That's it. But it was also to check in on how I was doing and how I was feeling because the material was so close to my heart. And the loss of my parents gave it all this weird space um, to kind of move in a lot of directions. And I just needed to know that there was somebody who was kind of like, aware that the writing was taking me into those places which felt important to separate from my family because my family is always there for me Mm -hmm. but in a different in a different capacity it's very personal and this was about the writing and the pages I didn't want it to become nonsensical I didn't want it to become just my grief and my anger spilling out all over the page It's like just let me know if I'm still actually writing or am I now just venting and um and it actually got to the point where I really, I think I left the book. Like I finally stepped out and the book was the book and I was separate.
0: Yeah. During all the time that it, it took to write it, was it, uh, what was it like you, what took, what took the longest? Like, could you not like figure out the plot? Did you, were you getting no. the character? Yeah. I
1: I I have a lot of life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: I take yeah. care of a lot of people. And I, and I wanted to pursue um, my profession to its highest degree. So I went back to school Mm -hmm. and getting a PhD in literature is not the same as writing a novel. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So So it really was just like life was in the way for a long time. And and
1: I, and I, and it wasn't, I would even say now I can honestly say it's not even in the way it's a choice. Yeah. I had all these choices and I said, you know what, this is what I really want to do in this way. So I would spend the academic year basically teaching because I teach full time at Bronx Community College At in my PhD program, writing papers, doing presentations, all of that. And then I would be jotting notes, working <laughs> on a scene, you know, like Carmen and Grace were always like, oh, come on, like, you can't mean that we're going to wait until June. And I was like, no, actually, that's exactly what I mean. And then I would spend the summer working on the novel. Got it. Got so it. So wow. that that is I think what took the longest and then also that there were scenes that to write them I had to really sit with myself to decide yeah. that
0: yeah wow yeah and uh, that is fascinating like you're right like there are so many choices we have in life and and to write a novel on top of everything or in between everything or is just is fascinating to me is. I, I, there is no such thing I mean maybe there's two percent one percent of the writers out there there's no such thing as just I write novels that's it that's all I do you know yeah everyone's yeah, doing yeah. something
1: right right
0: um I, I want to talk a little bit about the Bronx just in general uh, you mentioned it a few times it is like what you know it is your heart um just I, I I love hearing where people are from like what is it about the Bronx that is so special to you?
1: Well, I mean, I think first, like first layers, it's where I was when things became most difficult for me as a child. And despite that, I received an enormous amount of love. And that combination, and I kind of write about that in my behind the book essay, I think, where if you know love, even in a very difficult place, you associate that place with being loved. Mm, yeah. And sometimes it can make it hard to leave. I Believe me, I have left. <laughs> I went to Indiana. I lived in Brazil. I've lived in Manhattan. Um, I always come back. And I lived in Queens. I went to high school in Queens. It was my first sort of like foray out of the Bronx. And the return has always been about... Um, Feeling safe, which I know a lot of people do not associate with the Bronx and feeling loved and feeling myself sort of feeling at ease mm-hmm. in a way that I never felt anywhere else. So, it, you know, I I have a lot of places I enjoy Manhattan being, you know, top among them in terms of a place to be where you, you know, you can do anything and see anything. But home became for me about how I felt in my own skin, not having to explain myself, not having to define things, not having to just, I get to be who I am and it doesn't ask me any questions.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, I think a lot of people, when they think of New York, they don't, or, or I don't know what people think of when they think of New York anymore, but, um, you know, it's it's an epicenter of media, right? And, and I'm curious, like, have you ever read or seen or anything that has really represented the Bronx, you know, and love, as opposed to some version of it?
1: I think it's impossible mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah. I think every version I've read, um, and there's a lot of great books about mm-hmm. the Bronx, mostly nonfiction. Sure, yeah. Um. And and there are a lot of people who would say that my bron- my book does not portray the Bronx in a mm-hmm. positive way, um, which I would obviously disagree with. Mm-hmm. But I think it isn't possible for any one book to define or portray a place so complex, so large, so full of um, paradox, so full of people who come through, right? The Bronx is a place that so many groups have made a stop in, before they go out into what we consider sort of like the rest of America. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm experiencing it now. I'm a Puerto Rican in the Bronx. And for the first time, um, those numbers are diminishing. And my husband is a Dominican in the Bronx and their numbers are rising. And so you have all of these and and so many groups. When I came in and my family came in, the Irish were here mm-hmm. and on their way out. And so there's all of this, um, I think there are all these layers and it's not easy to portray um, in a single way.
0: Yeah. And I think uh, similarly, um, like you yourself as a writer is, I, uh, 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 yeah, you are like the Bronx. You you can encompass so many different things. You have this nonfiction or this fiction book out or coming out, Carmen and Grace, but you write but a lot of other things. You have an essay and a collection about the color and race in America. Uh, just talk about the other writing that you're interested in outside of fiction.
1: Well, I mean, I, I did a whole PhD, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and so I do academic writing <laughs> Yeah. And I, and I actually enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like doing research. I really loved... Working in archives on Puerto Rican writers, yeah. um, but also on African American feminists and um, and and other writers. Those were things that um, really gave me a lot of space to think about why I write at all. Yeah. Um, I do write personal essays and um memoir, and I'm and I'm kind of working on something that is a collection of essays about the Bronx um, that's rooted in geography. It's rooted in the land. Yeah. And this idea that my family came here from an island, um, and we gravitated towards places that felt like home. So, you have Van Cortlandt Park, you have Orchard Beach, you have all these green spaces that became sort of central to our functioning. Um, I think because in many ways they look like and felt like home, at least Mm. in the summer.
0: Yeah. And
1: so, I'm writing a lot about that um, in my nonfiction work because I feel that there's a lot of focus on culture and politics for a place. And less attention to, you know, sort of how land holds people, how it holds memory, how it holds, you know, the both the good and the bad that happens to any individual happens somewhere really specific. Mm -hmm. It's a block, it's a corner, it's a neighborhood, it's a park, it's a bench. And those places have a lot of energy. And I'm very interested in thinking about, you know, all the groups that pass through these places and what they leave behind. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's what I'm doing a lot in my non-fiction. And I'm very interested in form uh, for yeah. non-fiction.
0: Cool, Super,
1: yeah. super interested. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you talk about things that are difficult to just kind of lay out in a linear way? And um, I in this, I say I've learned a lot from my students at Bronx Community College because they have really taught me a lot about... Um, this idea of breaking things up and so they you know they do list poems and they do flash fiction and they do and they do it for assignments i'm giving them but they sort of come to it um in more um i would say experimental ways and then it gave me permission and this was really like starting about 10 years ago or, or so to start thinking about myself and sort of how i was experimental until school, you know, starts to kind of put you on a track. Yeah. And then how can I combine those two? That is where awesome. um, I think my form thinking began to land. And that's what that essay is about in the collection. It's about how to write a story you're not supposed to tell because it's, you know, it's, you're supposed to be ashamed. You're supposed to be embarrassed. You're supposed to hide certain parts of the story so the other parts look good, but you can't really tell that part that looks good without the other part of the story.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned, you know, during uh, the school year, you would kind of set a, a Carmen and Grace aside. And I'm curious about how your time in the archives and like your how your academic writing, did it influence Carmen and Grace at all?
1: I think so. I mean, I think definitely Jesus Colon, who was the writer that I primarily focused my research on, And I would go to the Center for Puerto Rican Studies. And I was literally like at the beginning anyway, because now everything has been digitized because of the pandemic. And I think also because the papers are getting old. Um, Just holding that time period when he first arrived, because he arrived here in 1918, like the very earliest wave of Puerto Ricans. Um, But he didn't publish his book until 1961. That made me start thinking about the generational challenges to a story like Carmen and Grace, because I wasn't going to do an epic I knew that I wasn't going to do several generations I understood that. But how could I infuse their knowing that they were part of something bigger, longer, and so there are little tiny things, you know, Jesus Colon's book is in Nene studio. You have a moment where she's in Williamsburg really really looking at going, wow, this is not Williamsburg, not Williamsbridge, Williamsbridge is in the Bronx." <laughs> <place." laughs> where she's going, you know, my people were here and I'm displacing them, like mm-hmm. I'm part of this. And yet that this is the only way for me to move forward. That connection to something bigger, I think, was definitely influenced by my time doing the work in the archives.
0: Yeah, and I know your bio mentions you have a book about Jesus Cologne. Is that out yet? Is it coming out? I, I just, yeah,
1: yeah. So that, <laughs> uh, that was my pandemic story, which was oh, okay. Um, I had to decide if I could sit down and finish the Jesus Colón book, which I have about 140 pages of. Okay. And I have a contract with the Center for Puerto Rican Studies mm-hmm. to publish it. And everything in me was like in an uproar. I was like, we have waited long enough. Like, that's mm-hmm. enough. You keep putting us to the side. No more and no more and you will do nothing else until this is done and it was really very strong and very insistent and i wasn't sure i could do either one but it became really clear that carmen and grace was the one that had to be prioritized
0: got it so jesus cologne it will come eventually
1: it will come and and you know i love that book because although i always say Anytime you have to use citations, it feels like homework. <laughs> and so citing the archive can get really unnerving. Um, and I tried to convince them there was a way to do it without it, but that didn't work. <laughs> so um, I think the book will come and hopefully it will be, um, it will, it's really going to be a love letter to this idea of the earliest Puerto Ricans who arrived and understood Mm. That given our status, given our colonial history with the United States, we weren't going back ever because Puerto Rico only existed in relation to the United States. And Mm. so let's just begin to imagine who we are, both here and there, and not with this idea that once we left there, we were different somehow. Of course, we're different, but we're also the only Puerto Ricans we know because we were here, all of yeah. us, together. Yeah. So I'm, I do hope to finish it. Um, but there's a lot of competition in my mind. That's one problem I do have. I think a lot of writers have it. Yeah. They, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of ideas and um, not enough time to execute them all well.
0: Thank you so much to Melissa Cosacchino for joining the Day Beautiful podcast. You can find her on the internet at melissacosacchino.com, on Instagram at melissacosacchino, and on Twitter at mcosacchino. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. As always, I'm Adam, this is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful.